Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from the ChrisVossShow.com. The ChrisVossShow.com. Here we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly, guys, appreciate you tuning in. Hopefully, you guys saw the really cool CES 2019 interviews from the CES show. And uh, I don't know, maybe you found some stuff that you want to buy some people for Christmas next year when it comes out. Anyway, we've got another great podcast here with you. Be sure to go to youtube.com forward slash Chris Voss, hit that bell notification button, tell all your friends, neighbors, relatives to go to the Chris Voss show. Of course, you can find us on Spreaker and on uh, iTunes, Google Play, on iHeartRadio, and Spotify. So definitely you can find us everywhere that you want. So we've got another wonderful guest, and as always, we have all the best guests. Um, today is Daniel Amaduri. He is the co-founder of the Future Money Trends Letter. He's a self-made multimillionaire, a full-time fact finder, and a proud father of three. And he launched in 2010, futuremoneytrends.com. It became the first personal finance letter for the new economy. Uh, today, it's been most widely recognized authority for financial freedom in economic research in commodities, cryptocurrencies, personal finance, cash flow, and income ideas. Welcome to the show, Daniel. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, Chris. Awesome sauce. I watched a few of your videos, checked out your site today. Uh, pretty cool. Uh, can you give us the plug on your website? Yeah, futuremoneytrends.com was started in the middle of my wife and I trying to become financially free, financially independent. Uh, so uh, today the site is more into now. It's a, the journey. Half of it was what we did. And now the other half is what we're doing now, uh, post-financial freedom. What are we investing in? What have we discovered? What have we learned that perhaps might not have been known to us uh, being raised in the middle class? Yeah, I was reading your website and saw your pictures of you traveling all, the, all over the world this last year. You said, I think it said you took about 120 days of vacation. Yeah, uh, and we did about 10 countries this year with the kids, and it's been, it's been great trips, too, by the way. I'm, I'm, uh, though I'm not Catholic, I got a chance to go to the Vatican with just the security guards. Wow. I have it all to ourselves, and um, it's thanks to the, the journey that my wife and I started on about 11 years ago. That's awesome. I would have declared myself like, I don't know, a pope or bishop or something while I was there. I'm the new pope. I, I got to see his elevator, and it's funny. Um, it was like this... Uh, black walls with like this red dragon in it and I'm like guys if you're trying to avoid conspiracy theories don't have like the black elevator with a red dragon be the Pope's elevator <laughs> did the elevator go down or up it went down <laughs> that could be bad I've heard the Vatican has a basement maybe Satan's in it I don't know <laughs> who knows <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of funny though I, didn't, I don't really see the Pope as a dragon sort of guy maybe there's something we don't know Means something different. Who knows what it is? Uh, that would be funny if he came out. Maybe, maybe he really likes Game of Thrones, and that's yeah. thing there. So uh, you guys have a uh, fin financial newsletter, and I think you've been through kind of a journey on your website. It talked about how you went uh, from near bankruptcy to become a multimillionaire. Uh, do you want to give us kind of a summation of the journey there? Yeah, I mean, I was always fascinated with money as a child. Um, got into finance really young age, like 13 years old, started reading all the Kiyosaki books, uh, bought into my first business at 16, started buying stocks at 17, bought my first house at 18 to rent, to rent, had ultra like uber success from 2000 to 2007, uh, thought I was really smart, wasn't that smart, blew myself up completely down to a crisp 
to where my wife and I, um, in 2008, were sitting in a bankruptcy attorney's office wondering what we were going to do. Wow. Uh, luckily, we never filed bankruptcy. But about a year after that, uh, when she got pregnant with our first child, we really formed a plan to never be poor. It wasn't even to be rich anymore. I had let that go. I was like, I just want to, how do I, am I not going to be poor? And that's the journey that we started in 2009 and ultimately led us to becoming financially independent. Independent. I think that's Nike's new uh, slogan. Don't be poor, eh? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so you, you went on quite a journey. You guys have, uh, I guess your newsletter was one of the first to profile cryptocurrency at 13 Yeah, bucks. Bitcoin. So, you, so what, I guess early on you guys really understood Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency. You know, it, it was more of, I wanted this letter to be something new. It was post-2008 financial crisis. So I was like, where does the regular guy go where he gets the Dave Ramsey part, but he, but he doesn't want to wait 35 years to retire or to be financially free. I want to do this in like five to 10 years. So I've got the Robert Kiyosaki and the Dave Ramsey, and then you got a little bit of the Peter Schiff in there buying gold and stuff. And all these came together and I created Future Money Trends. And, um, you know, I had a lot of young people uh, in, in the office uh, working with me near my house. And uh, we, they were always telling me about cryptocurrency. Of course, they were telling me Bitcoin at a buck, two bucks, three bucks. And finally, I begrudgingly profiled at $13. <laughs> and it went all the way to 20 grand. It did. That's pretty damn awesome. I remember holding it at 600 and it was kind of stuck there for a while. And I'm like, I'm just going to sell this thing until it starts moving again. And then it went to 20 grand. <laughs> and we, we actually got a chance to profile one of the very first uh, mining companies uh, for Bitcoin that went public. And that became a big success too. And yeah, we're, we're heavily involved in cryptocurrency market as a long-term investor, but it, that's very speculative. People should know, you know, don't, yeah. don't invest any money. You're not willing to lose. How is mining doing these days? I know that I've seen huge mining farms that people have built. I don't know if it's still as popular as it used to be. For a while there, it was kind of a gold rush. Yeah, no, it's definitely not for the little guy anymore uh, at all. It's been that way for years. It's more of like the big Goliaths fighting it out. Uh, you've got Genesis out there, who's the largest cloud miner. They help people. You can still mine from home just by using their services. But it's definitely not that profitable today. Uh, you know, oh. some of these companies are... Mining Bitcoin for you know five six thousand dollars, and uh, you can sell it on the open market for thirty five hundred. So yeah. uh, it's not really a sustainable business plan. <laughs> so when it drops, it drops at six thousand. If they if they mine a coin, sometimes the no. Right now, it's it's more expensive to mine Bitcoin than it is to sell it on the open market. You're better off buying it on the open market. Oh, for the cost of, of doing that stuff. Well, that's crazy. I I, I saw these huge Russian. Uh, mining farms where they, you know, they took over like a mall and just like some giant place and just filled it with servers. Yeah, the electricity costs. Uh, I mean, the the nice thing is you only need like one security guard or maybe just security cameras and a fence, and then you fill a warehouse up with computers. But it is the keeping them cool and the consumption of electricity is off the chart. Yeah, I bet that's gotta be it's gotta be something a lot. Uh, and and I, it looks like Bitcoin is kind of going to be stagnant for a while. Do you do you kind of do you see cryptocurrency being stagnant? Well, it's kind of getting beat up by regulations right now. I think when China and stuff. Yeah, I, I see it. You know, for the next year, more infrastructure build out. The enthusiasm is still there with all the entrepreneurs. Um, it's it's you know, 
It had that mania phase, which in 2017 brought a lot of new people in the sector, not a lot of new adoption. But there's a lot of things that need to be sorted out. For example, Bitcoin needs to be able to, at the very least, compete with Visa and MasterCard. And right now it can't. Uh, when it first started, it was very easy. I could send you a million dollars and it would cost, you know, five cents. That's not the case. Now I can't even buy a cup of coffee for $3 without paying, you know, a dollar in fees. So yeah. it's the infrastructure part that has to be worked on. It is being worked on. I'm convinced by some of the smartest people in the world. And uh, it will be back. Uh, but it might not be back till 2020 as far as... Uh, where there's, you know, massive uh, retail demand for it. I had a credit card with my uh, Coinbase account. Uh, I think it was called Swift. It was from another company. And they would allow you to do debit cards to your uh, Coinbase account, just like, you know, you just swipe the card. But I, I never did look at the fees, and I, I didn't spend that much money through it. In fact, I, I used it so much they canceled it because they I wasn't using it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I never did look at the fees. I was probably getting charged quite a bit of fees from Coinbase. And, the thing about high. and uh, that, that'll be worked on though. That'll be reduced. Yeah, it definitely needs to, it definitely needs to, uh, make some huge changes in that. So, um, so you and your wife, um, saved a lot of money and changed your guys' thing. What was the craziest thing you and you guys did to save money? So we get asked that question a lot and, uh, it, it's, it's, Kind of controversial, but we got rid of our dogs. Um, now, we did a lot to save money. That wasn't like the, you know, get rid of your dog and you'll be financially free. Like, we moved. <laughs> we left an area. Looking at me. Yeah, we <laughs> left an area where all of our friends had 500000 dollars mortgages. We moved and we bought a $92,000 house uh, or $95,000 house in the desert of California. Prior to that, we actually squatted in a friend's house uh, to save money for nine months because he's like, look, I'm letting it go to foreclosure. And I was like, since it's going to be empty anyway, do you mind if I live in it? And I actually gave him a few thousand dollars. But the whole story is I gave him three thousand dollars, lived in it for nine months. The bank knocks on the door and says, We'll give you thirty five hundred dollars to leave. I was like, done. So I actually lived there for five hundred bucks. I got paid. Um ended up buying a house for ninety five thousand dollars. She sold her wedding ring to pay off our cars, but at some point in time and getting rid of the TV and eating less meat, we did have these two dogs that they were wiener dogs. So they had a lot of back problems and medical bills. Oh wow. And we just were like, look, this is like 100 to 150 a month. Let's get rid of them. And we did. We gave them to a great couple who took care of like, they had like seven other wiener dogs with them. So it was not a, it was not a bad ending to the story. It was just the, probably the craziest thing we've ever done to say. Adventures of wiener dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just picturing a whole bunch of wiener dogs. <laughs> yeah. Kids dream, right? You know, a bunch of wiener dogs running around the house. So you, so you guys did a lot of that. To, you guys basically, you know, just just cut away the the fat and focused on getting on your feet, getting the basics done. It sounds like the, a lot of this, of course, for for our listeners, this probably happened during the the the, the bust of the housing bust, and you yeah, know, there's a lot of people uh, in empty homes. I remember in my home or my street up in uh, the north of here in Las Vegas, uh, every third home was occupied so the whole street was like maybe uh, 20 people out of like 50 homes or something and um, you go out at night and you hear this chirping like crickets only it was all the fire alarms whose batteries had gone bad and they would just all be chirping down the street and that's how the squatters actually that would break in the homes and live in them would know which houses were empty because the fire alarm <laughs> batteries were dead and chirping 
That's incredible. Yeah, no, I remember those times, and it was during those times, 2009, 2010, is yeah. when all this is happening. And, um, you know, in hindsight, I, it was, I'm, I'm so glad we did it. It made, it made us tougher, and it made us, like, we feel like even if something happened to us now, like, it wasn't that bad. We were still together. We're still eating, you know, Thai food on a Friday night, having a good time together. And uh, though we had, you know, we had jobs, so that sucked. But, uh, you know, it was still, we, we loved each other. We, we had a good time. And we learned that we can live off of very, very little. And, and sometimes going through those troughs, those downward things and, and living through it, you, you get to the other side and you're like, okay, we can do this. And, and uh, um, sometimes, you know, how bad it can be probably makes a relationship stronger or whatever. Because a lot of people separate when finances go down and, and a family gets in trouble. They just, they break up and blame the other person. And, uh, you know, at least that way, you know, you can get through some very tough times together. Yeah. It certainly made us much more financially conservative. So we've always talked about how our income, uh, usually lags our, or excuse me, our lifestyle lags our income by about two years. So even when we become millionaires past the point of financial independence and millionaire doesn't mean you're financial. I'm talking about my definition of financial independence is when your passive income investments pay for your lifestyle. Uh, but even at that point, I was still driving a 2003 Nissan Altima in 2013. Um, you know, being a millionaire, being financially independent, but still being frugal. Um, and later I moved to Texas and uh, then I bought a better house, but still mindset was to save money, to get most bang for the buck by leaving California and living in another state. And uh, it's still it's still that way. So even when I spend money, uh, you know, people probably think, man, he just must have come into money yesterday. But actually, it's that I'm just now feeling more comfortable spending a little bit more money. Yeah. Well, you know, that's they say a lot of millionaires are millionaires because they're frugal, and they save money, and they and they're miserly about it. And yeah, I mean, we spend so much money on so much crap that we don't need, and and uh, you know, buy things to impress people that. <laughs> Don't give a damn about us, according to Flight Club. Um, so in your newsletter, you also recommend for retirement or, or for savings, uh, put some of your money in gold and silver and I guess some in cryptocurrency then. I put a little bit in cryptocurrency, uh, very speculative. I like um, gold uh, for a lot of reasons. So uh, a lot of people will tell you, like financial advisors, put 5 to 10% in gold, but then they never do it. I like gold a lot because of going through the financial crisis and also talking to other investors who dealt with different things or business owners with the government. I think it's good to have some, some safe physical currency like gold off the books, outside of the lawsuit world, outside of the IRS being able to freeze it overnight. Um, I like the idea of having some money just out of bounds from the government and perhaps third parties that might want to sue you. <laughs> uh, there was a guy here who's super rich in Las Vegas and he actually got like one of those big, uh, I guess it was one or two of those big cargo containers that they have on the ships and he filled it with silver and they buried it oh, like in the middle of nowhere and they built a city around it. And one day, he wanted to go have someone go check and make sure the silver was there. And they, they had, they went over to take it up and the cops were like, what the hell's going on? It's like a whole big thing of silver. So I, I guess he figured the IRS wasn't going to get to that yet. 
No, that's funny. Uh, bearing it, uh, but I, I would suggest there's Brinks has plenty of programs all around the world where you can store with Brinks. So you could store some at your house, but definitely physically uh, have it on you. And again, it's financial insurance. I don't buy it because I want it to go up. I want Disney and the Dow to go up because that means life is good. If yeah. gold goes up, that means life probably something's wrong. So uh, ideally, I'd like the gold just to stay where it is or go down even. It's really an insurance policy. Just an insurance policy for if uh, the markets turn and you've got uh, some gold. It's always good to have. Sure. You can trade it with the zombies and the zombie apocalypse. So Yeah, or just or just have – it will have value post whatever happens, right? Like if something yeah. happens with a dollar, okay, it's not like the United States just goes away. It'll be a new currency. We've had like $5 already, so a new dollar – and then gold will be able to trade in for the new dollar. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out. Um, how do you know when it's uh, time to buy a stock? What do you recommend there? Oh, usually, uh, you know, what I do is kind of just throw a bunch of stock tickers in the hallway floor and see which one the four-year-old picks up, and that's where we go. We go all in. <laughs> um, look, people buy stocks for different reasons. If you're buying stocks for the long term. I think you just want to buy a stock that's a great business. And I usually ask myself, will my grandkids do business with this company? And so then I feel great about buying a company like Disney or uh, a Budweiser, something big, something safe, something that dominates their sector. I think that's the, 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 the volatility you cannot protect yourself from. But what is safe and what is not safe? What is risk? Well, can Disney go from $110 to $50? Yes. Is Disney going to be around in 2030, 2040? Yeah. And there's a good chance they'll still be the dominant brand in what they do. Um, yeah, I mean, now, anything they want, they just go buy it. <laughs> dude, I mean, Amazon for a while there when they were trolling our market, I don't know why they weren't just scooping up all these great businesses. Like they did Whole Foods, but why, why stop there? I mean, they could have just scooped up $100 billion of the companies that are, you know, huge brands. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe because he knew he was going to get divorced soon and uh, <laughs> lose half as well. So he was he's like, I better not spend that money. Yeah. And then she's a co-founder, so maybe she was like, I don't want to spend that money. I'm going to leave his ass. And seriously, <laughs> look at him. Who wants to keep this guy? Um, <laughs> I'm sure Jeff Bezos is a nice feller. Uh, <laughs> so do you, uh, this is a good question. Why do you believe retirement is a scam? Well, it hasn't. So that's a you kind of open a can of worms there. So it, it's it is a scam to be honest with you. In my opinion, first of all, it's not been around as long as most people think it has. Uh, there were some. There was some sort of pension system for like Roman soldiers that died off in the 1850s. There was a German one that died off. American Express finally created the first one. And then there was some sort of a retirement program, but only the last 100, 150 years max you could make that case. But now, just like at the top of any pyramid scheme, it works for the people who first try it. So great. Congratulations to everybody from the World War II generation. Since then, it has not worked. Um, and it's really not working for most people. And it's even become a misallocation of time and energy because Wall Street is raking it in on fees and you're deferring all your life enjoyment for when you might be financially free. My thing is why not get rid of the whole damn idea and just focus on becoming financially free or instead of financing everything, live a sustainable lifestyle right now. What's, what's stopping people from living the retired lifestyle in the 30s and 40s? It's that they adopt the life script of financing their home, financing their cars, overpaying for everything, 
and assuming that financial independence is not something to be achieved until you're in your sixties. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what a lot of people do. Um, they, 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 that's me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know they why think they're going to have a lot of, uh, uh, money at the end or they're going to be able to live on it uh, and a lot of people when they retire they find out there's not as much money and they find out there's actually some taxes when you retire uh, or I think my mom or, or somebody I knew they retired they were they were screened about what there's still taxes I thought this is all untaxed <laughs> yeah well that's one of the things even at, at 16 years old I remember at my home ec class they were talking about how you get to defer your tax on the 401k and then withdraw it at the lowest tax bracket. And even at 16, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. When I'm 60, I better be in the highest tax bracket. I am not going to be poor when I am 60. You know, like, why would you, why would you ever have the goal to be in your 60s in the lowest tax bracket? I get it. We won't want to pay less in taxes, but why is that the plan? The only way to be in the lowest tax bracket is to be impoverished. And that is just not a good plan. Does save you some money on taxes, though. <laughs> taxes when taxes are historically at their lowest they've been since 1930. Can you believe that? I am so sorry. My wife's phone must be paired up with this device. Um, so anyway, but yeah, no. Look, uh, I wrote, you can pay 35 percent now, or gamble with whatever the IRS tax rate is going to be, and who knows from now, right? It could be 70 percent, as far as we know. Yeah, evidently we are are we have a two trillion dollar deficit. I think it got announced there recently, yeah. and we have added two two more trillion to our deficit. So I'm not sure how we're going to be paying for stuff in the future. We're going to have to get some really high end, high interest, high risk credit cards or something. Yeah, no. Um, honestly, you think about the the United States with how much it consumes and how much people think is normal. I'm so sorry. I don't know why this phone okay. call will not go away. Um, you know, when, with the United States, everybody thinks that's normal. Well, that's just like our lives. It's not normal. Like they talk about all these entitlement programs, like social security and stuff. They're not sustainable now. Uh, when you're borrowing a trillion dollars of debt, that is not a sustainable situation for any country. Yeah. And they, and they, and they've, they've used the money that was put in the social security system. So they've already spent it. <laughs> so sure we're borrowing against money to pay people back for, a retirement program. So it, it's going to be pretty interesting. Did you make most of your money in real estate though in your comeback or was it a mix of everything? I think my, my passive income, I don't know what to do about this phone call. It just will not go away. Sorry. Um, the computer system, to my wife's uh, computer or the phone is. Okay. So my, most of my income was my, most of my passive income was made in real estate almost exclusively. Uh, from buying rental properties, from buying owner will carry because I blew up my credit in 2008. Um, and, you know, so now today I would say most of my money is is uh, is in chunks in, in financing startup companies, which has become a big hobby of mine, uh, something that I passionately enjoy and love to do. But even when I take make those profits, I take it and immediately put it in the some sort of real estate uh, connected market, either private REITs through crowdfunding rental properties or buying real estate notes like first trustees, but usually not myself, like in a fund. I've been seeing a lot of crowdfunding for real estate lately. Crowdfunding is in everything these days. Um, how, how do you feel about that? Is it, is, it, is it a pretty good investment if someone's interested in that? Yeah, I wouldn't throw it to just anyone. I love, I love a few of them, like purestreet.com. Its founder is uh, Brett Crosby. Found, he started Google Analytics. 
one of the seed investors was uh, Michael, Dr. Michael Berry. He's the guy who played by Christian Bale in the big short. So I like Pure Street. Um, they, they give you access to buy uh, real estate notes. I also like um, Fundrise, another very serious group, simply buying apartment buildings and you know uh, fixing them up and collecting the cash flow. So I do like the crowdfunding uh, model, but I just would be careful because people are throwing their money at everything. And make sure you're just with very serious groups uh, and just pick a handful of them. Definitely want to do your research. Maybe you want to read the Future Money Trends newsletter and subscribe to it at, uh, at your website at futuremoneytrends.com, everyone. Um, so uh, now when you did your real estate investments, uh, was it only with seller financing? Uh, since 2008, I have only done seller finance deals, yeah, because I blow up my credit and... I am not a paperwork guy and I'm not an organized person. So the thought of like dealing with an underwriter and fixing it, you know, I was like, ah, forget it. So I just did everything with seller financing. That's how I purchased all the properties, even my own personal residence. Um, and I just started being on the other side of that trade. I've now done two where I become the seller. Hmm. So are you, uh, when you're doing the seller financing, are you putting your name on the title, or are you are, is, is, are they retaining the name on the title until you pay them off? So on the buy side, you're 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 it's just like any other transaction. The only thing that's different is the seller. If he owns it outright, the seller is your bank. That's who you make your payments to. If they don't own it outright, they still may be the bank. If it's a wrap, if it's bigger than the current mortgage, or you may just make their mortgage payment. And that's I, I have that for a few of them where. I literally just write the check into Wells Fargo on behalf of them because I've assumed their loan. But everything else is normal. Like as far as you'll you'll go through a title company or an escrow company if you're in California, uh, the the property is transferred to you. You have a full and legal ownership. There you go. There you go. The uh, so so what's the best way uh, people can can uh, get started on changing their life and change or changing their mindset or. Or what, what, what would you suggest for some first steps people can take? I think the first step is to make that decision that this is what you really want. Because you're going to have to overcome the societal peer pressure of what's normal. So consider that, that no one else is joining you for this journey. Your mom and dad, your sister, your friends, your best friend. No one else is joining you on this journey except for your spouse. And so is this something you really want to do? Because you might look poor. You might have to opt out of some things that people are going to do in life. And it might be a life of three to five years of some serious sacrifice and some serious focus. So do you really want it? Because if you really want it, you have to choose that. And once you choose that, then you go through your life and you start cutting the hell out of your expenses until you can slash it down 50%. 50% seems huge until you really consider moving you're more than likely going to have to move because you're probably not living in a situation that's sustainable. Might be sustainable to you because your whole, whole you know, your whole pay, paycheck can pay for your lifestyle, but you need half your paycheck to pay for your lifestyle because you're going to need to use the other half of that paycheck to buy things that send checks to your mailbox um, because all of your investments from now on are not going to be things that you hope to go up. Your criteria will be things that bring a check to my mailbox. If it, if I'm not cashing a check or if they're not ACHing me money on a monthly or quarterly basis, I'm not investing in it. And those are the three things to make the choice slash expenses and start buying things that bring you checks. 
Nice. Nice. Um, yeah. It, I, years ago, I, I bought a big home and uh, I ended up regretting it after a year because I realized I could have bought four homes over on the other side of town for the amount that I'd paid for that home. And I could have rented out the three homes and then lived in the cheap and expensive one myself and um, and probably had a, a nice little uh, rental situation going on. But <laughs> I bought this massive giant home and lived it all by myself and and uh, I did that for several years and, and just was like, you know, do I really do I really need all this? And so I downsized and moved to Vegas. Um, but for a lot of years, yeah, I, I got wealthy and then I started buying everything, you know, BMWs and all the all the stuff that I, would, I thought I needed to impress people. And in the end, yeah, it's just like the Fight Club said. It says you're, you're buying stuff to impress people that don't care about you anyway. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that you can learn to live without. I mean, even even when it comes to like a car, I mean, I could have a BMW or I can have a, a, a nice used car that doesn't require monthly payments and still works just fine and lasts for years. Um, especially for someone like me who's single and only drives it like once every four days. Um, you know, I have everything delivered to the home and I'm able to work from home. So, uh, it's, it's, you know, people don't need the latest Mercedes. And when you think of how much money you put into that, especially when it comes to pre-tax earnings, because to spend $700 a month on your Mercedes, you've got to earn a whole lot more money that you've got to pay the IRS to be able to buy that car. And a lot of people don't factor that into their math. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I've done the same mistakes, by the way. I, mean, yeah. like, I bought the Sea-Doo's, I bought the brand new Tahoe when I was like 18 years old. I mean, totally <laughs> bought big, stupid house. I mean, I have, everybody goes through that. And, you know, hopefully if anybody's watching this, they have it. And then they can, you know, kind of like pass the baton from us. Here, here you go. Don't make these mistakes. Yeah. And, 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 and you build your wealth. There's a lot, like I said, I, I forget if there's, if there's some books on or something, but there really is a thing about frugal millionaires and people that are just miserly with their money uh, and they don't spend it on, on stupid stuff that they don't need to impress people that don't care about them. Um, I mean, it, when you really think about a lot of the stuff that I used to buy, um, that was just, that I really didn't need to live with, uh, I used to buy nice, expensive gold nugget watches and bracelets, and and uh, I really didn't need them. I, mean, I I was just buying most of them to impress people, and I'm like, why am I going broke to impress people? <laughs> sure. And it's like when somebody buys a new car, it feels mm -hmm. great. But you know what? I think after the initial introduction of like, look, here's my car, within three days, it's just the damn car. Right, yeah. got, you know the, the empty Starbucks coffee cup in there. It's got some French fries between the seats. <laughs> the damn car. Meanwhile, you're stuck with the seven hundred dollar month payment, insurance, and registration, all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, people people just don't look think about too how much you need to pre tax earn, how much you need to earn for that money. You have to factor that cost in <laughs> because you know I'll have a, I'll have a friend say, well, it's only like seven hundred bucks, and I'm like, well, you're self employed, you got to. You gotta earn about fifteen hundred bucks to pay for that car, and they're like, oh, "I didn't really think about that." I'm like, "Yeah, you, <laughs> you gotta think about how much these things really cost, especially you know if you have a a, a fairly expensive car and has a loan on it, you've got to pay for the full insurance and full comprehensive and all that stuff. Uh, it all stacks up. I mean, maintenance, 
I remember my BMW used there were some years I'd go in for the inspection and it'd have to have all new tires because of the way I drive and there'd be things. I remember one year it was like two thousand bucks it took to get it registered. And uh I was like, damn, this car is really expensive. You're I my all my BMWs had unleaded gas or supreme unleaded you had to put in it. I think in the first time I gas it up, I'm like, I spent sixty thousand on this bloody car, and now I got to spend more in gas. <laughs> yeah, I, I know people like in my life who bought cars way out of there where they shouldn't be, and then the window cracks, and then apparently it's twenty five hundred dollars to fix a BMW window, normal four or five hundred on a Toyota, you know. Oh yeah. You just you just start throwing your money out the window there, um, so yeah. I mean, people people can definitely become millionaires being more frugal and just looking at the stuff they spend. I mean, it, it really makes a difference. So, uh, when people sign up for your newsletter, wh what do they start getting? Okay, so you if you go to futuremoneytrends.com and if you're interested in the cash flow ideas, go to futuremoneytrends.com/cash. But the subscription is free. It's an advertising based website, so there are advertisements. There are advertisements in the emails. But the, all the emails are unbiased um, and the letters, what I write. So uh, it's, you know, I only, I only uh, in profile things that I'm investing in. And then uh, half the letter is, us, is me sharing what I went through. Basically how different things that I did to save money or different mindsets that I learned. Things that I might have picked up from a Tony Robbins conference or things I might picked up from a Robert Kiyosaki book. Or how, what I learned from the biggest mistakes of my investing in life. So... Half of it is basically the journey that might connect with everybody uh, on how to become financially independent. Um, and then the other half is what I'm doing right now. So if you're looking for a cash flowing investment, uh, you can kind of look over my shoulder. Maybe it's right for you. Maybe it's not. But here's what here's where I'm actively putting my money. Oh, oh. so they, they can go through that whole newsletter. Do you do it other advisory stuff or consult or anything like that? Or do they just read the newsletter and... No, so you, you, anybody can email me and I'll respond to them. Uh, I also do scheduled phone calls with people who, you know, they lay out their case and they say, look, I need to speak to you. I've, I've done hundreds and hundreds of calls. In fact, one of the first subscribers in 2010 that emailed me, called me, we developed a relationship. He now runs a letter just like Future Money Trends called the Wealth Research Group. And same thing, it's through his journey and the different things he's doing. So, um, you know, I love engaging with my subscribers. We did a paid subscription for a while, but I felt like the paid subscription was holding me back from truly giving everybody what I wanted to give them because I had to save something. So we actually got rid of that about two years ago, and now it's all free, and it's everything. It's brutal honesty. Awesome. Awesome. And, and good advice. And you guys understand crypto too. I know a lot of people are starting to really invest in crypto. And of course they want guidance because of some of the things that have gone up and down with crypto. So that's very good there. So uh, thanks for Daniel Amaduri, CEO yeah. and founder of Future Money Trends being on the show. Uh, you can get a free finance newsletter for the new economy from him. So be sure to check that out. Anything you want to part with us and uh, leave us with Daniel? You know, I would just say um, I'm, I, 11 years ago, my wife and I were sitting next to a bankruptcy attorney uh, and, you know, we just did a lot of focus and a lot of decisions that we had to do together. And anybody listening to this, I have no doubt that you can do it. I bet you're probably in a better financial state than I was in 08.
All right. Sounds good. Well, everyone, check out uh, Daniel's newsletter. We certainly appreciate him coming by the show. Be sure to hit that subscribe button on our YouTube.com. Chris Voss. Refer it to your friends, neighbors, family, relatives, and all that good stuff. We certainly appreciate you guys, and we'll see you next time.